Welcome to the Australian Hiker Podcast, Australia's longest-running hiking podcast, downloaded over half a million times in over 145 countries and providing you with an Australian perspective on all things hiking. We're your hosts, Tim and Jill Savage. This is episode 193 of the Australian Hiker Podcast, and in this week's episode, we talk about week two on the Tasmanian Trail. In this week's episode, at my second week on the Tasmanian Trail, we continue to listen to my on-trail recordings, and in addition, we talk about trail towns. We hope you enjoy. Before we get into today's episode, if you'd like to help support Australian Hiker and this podcast, there are a couple of ways that you can help us out. Firstly, by subscribing on your podcast host of choice so that each episode is available as soon as it's published. And if you have the opportunity, leave us a five-star review. Another way to support us is go to the Australian Hiker website at www.australianhiker.com.au and click on the supporters page and buy us a coffee. You can do a one-off donation or become a monthly supporter. All donations are greatly appreciated and help us to continue producing this podcast and blog. Now let's get on to today's episode. It's ten past nine on Thursday the 5th of August, day seven of my trip on the Tasmanian Trail. I'm just checking it out of my hotel in Deloraine and I'm getting a lift down to Ouse uh, to continue on my trip. Now I chose that for a couple of reasons. Firstly, it was where my I need to pick up a resupply box, and that's been a bit of a uh, my first resupply box turned up in two days. This one uh, went for a bit of a wander and is almost there, uh, but I may end up uh, redirecting that because I'll pick up a a separate box uh, on the way down to Ooze. Um, I've re gone through, or I've gone through and redone. The, uh, the scheduling, uh, I've based it on 20 kilometres a day rather than the sort of 25, 26 kilometres a day that I had originally planned. Uh, and that way it'll give me a bit more realistic um, expectation of how I'm travelling, which means uh, I know where I'll be heading to over the next week and I know where my next rest stop is. I should have, should, being the operative word, have plenty of time to finish this trip uh, in Devon, uh, sorry, in Dover and then come back if I have the opportunity to complete some or all of the remaining section, which is across the central plateau area. But really that's gonna be dependent on weather conditions and time available, and I won't know that until I finish off. When I get down there, realistically I'll get down to Ooze probably around about um, uh, around about midday. I need to drop into the post office and sort myself out. I will actually have some stuff to send home, so I'll put a small box and just send any leftovers home. It gives me a good opportunity at the end of the trip to work out what I did and didn't eat and make adjustments for the next trip coming coming forward. I was actually planning on staying in Ooze tonight, tenting it, but you know, if I'm, you know, if it's one o'clock, two o'clock, I'll probably end up uh, just doing walking for two or three hours, and then uh, camping it overnight just to get an early head start on tomorrow. This next session uh, includes some uh, a flood diversion, and again, the way the water is, I'm just assuming that the, there's no way knowing that I or anybody else is going to be able to get across some of these rivers for another week or two, and there is more rain forecast later this weekend, so I think it's going to be a, a few weeks off before it's low enough for people to cross unassisted. So I'll be doing the flood diversions. Uh, there's also a private property diversion. Normally this is a property that you need to get permission to cross. Not so much for any particular reason that the farmer doesn't like anybody, but apparently he allows hunters on his land. And obviously you don't want people hiking as people are shooting at the same time. So it's, you know, it's good, good on the farmer for, for providing the opportunity and, and being cautious about people's safety. So uh, I've looked at where there's potential crossings and creeks and rivers, trying to avoid those as best I can. Uh, it's almost going to end up being a bit of a choose-your-own-adventure. So it looks like when I leave Ooze today, I'll do a bit of a, a, a short highway walk and cut into the trail after the potential uh, creek crossings to get them out of the way. So looking forward to getting back on the road again. Talk to you later. It's 6.50 on the 5th of August 
uh, on my Tasmanian uh, trail trip and I'm here in my tent and as soon as I finish this recording it's time to go to bed. I um, left Deloraine this morning travelling down to Oos so I skipped the central highland section of this trail and it's it was interesting actually I spent most of the morning I left uh, Deloraine at around about 9.30 uh, and got into Oos at around about 1 o'clock uh, and it was uh, it was an interesting trip because Paul, who, who kindly offered to ferry me down, picked me up and took me the route that I would have walked, or as far as possible I would have walked. And it was interesting to see what, what the, the section was like that I would have missed. It's funny, the Central Highlands is one of those sort of areas where it's snow one day, anything up to sort of 70 centimetres, and then five or six days in a row there's nothing, it's just foggy or misty, or um, it really depends on what the weather conditions are doing. And really the southern part of Australia, uh, you know, southern New South Wales, Victoria, uh, into Tasmania is getting a lot of rain at the moment and has done over the last few weeks. Uh, now, that's the good thing about that is it's, uh, it sort of melts the snow if there's anything around. Picked up my resupply box, which I was due to pick up in Brecknell, and then headed towards Ouse. And... About five minutes before I pulled into, or we pulled into Ooze, I get a, t a message from Australia Post saying, my other resupply box has also turned up. And originally it had gone astray and was going to be delivered sometime next week, and it ended up only taking two days from Canberra. I must admit, Australia Post has been pretty good. Uh, yes, I paid for Express Post, uh, but realistically even if you live in the state you're working in or walking in uh, it's so much easier to just stick a box in the post providing there's a post office there somewhere to actually collect at the other end uh, and I know people will often do um, a drive up and along the trail and drop boxes as they go but in all honesty uh, the cost of Australia Post the the time they take it's actually cheaper to send in most cases through a series of boxes than it would be to actually drive them up I'd actually planned on staying in Ooze this evening uh, and uh, starting walking tomorrow and my next leg of my trip is uh, roughly 80 kilometres and by the time I'd gone through, got my resupply box, I'd actually forwarded my second box on to a later part of the trail for use later uh, and I'd sent a few uh, food bundles home that I know I won't need. Uh, and I do that because, not because I, I'm particularly attached to the food, but I like to weigh what I don't eat. And that way it allows me to give me a good indication of what's being used and what isn't. Uh, it, it allows me to sort of work out, next time I do a trip, what I need to leave off and, and what I don't need to leave off. I'm finding that I'm not as hungry as I typically have been, and that's because the weather, I think, is cooler. When it's hotter, strangely enough, I feel like eating more. But I'm, you know, I'm carrying an extra bit of body weight at the moment, so I think I'm consuming that rather than having to eat food. So I've got a lot of snacks left over. I've certainly eaten the meals, but a lot of snacks left over. You may be able to hear it uh, in the background. There's a lot of frogs in the campground that I'm staying at at the moment and that's because I'm staying adjacent to the Derwent, Derwent River which is probably uh, if I walk down to the river is probably around about 80 or 90 meters but having said that there's even though this is a large sort of campground there's a bit of water in the lower section of it uh, due to all the rain and it's surrounded by a marshland is probably the best way I can describe it you know and you look at it and think yeah this is definitely marshland and this is also full or infested with snakes as well so I, I it's just something that I get the the feeling that it is and I wouldn't want to go walking through the long reeds even though it's a cold time of the year I'm sure that's where a lot of snakes are and I had a batch of kookaburras earlier on today turned up uh, which is often a good indication there's there's, there's food around for them at the moment there's lots of frogs croaking in the background and I think they're going to keep me awake for a lot of the night. Uh, there were some ducks uh, floating around as well uh, in what is a large pool of water that's probably only two inches deep but they decided they like that. And um, because I am so close to the water and it is so moist down here it is going to be a fairly cool night. 
I can feel it now. I've got my puffy jacket on. I've got my socks on and I'm toasty. Uh, but given that it's only sort of 10 to 7, it's roughly 10 degrees according to the, uh, uh, the weather bureau. Uh, but it just feels a lot colder than that. So I do have my sleeping bag liner if I need to boost up the warmth. Basically now I'm in the Derwent Valley and looking at the guidebook it really does talk about uh, this is a di different climatic sort of area. So it's a, it's, apparently it's poorer soils than the, the northern area I've come from. Uh, the rainfall isn't as heavy and certainly looking at the weather map they were talking about rain over the next few days or four or five days and it doesn't seem to be reflected in the area that I'm in. Now, whether that changes or not, it's a different issue, but certainly where I've just come from in the more the northern part of the island, it's it was going to be very wet over the next few days, where I think I've got the next two days, one was about zero to four millimetres of rain, and the other one was about zero to two millimetres of rain over the next few days, which is not a lot. Um, you know, I think I can cope with that, and it's it's what I've been getting already in the time that I've been walking. Weather today was pretty good, uh, walking-wise. I didn't have to put my jacket on at all. In fact, about 15 minutes after I started walking, I had my puffy jacket on and I took that off. And I was only, only just put it back on again once I got to the campground. Campground's two layers. It has an upper layer, which is basically a grassy paddock with a, a men's and women's toilet block in it, which is open to vehicles. And then you go down a hill through a boom gate which is blocks off vehicles and there's a um, a picnic shelter so it's got a couple of tables uh, a weatherproof shelter uh, it's on two sides and um, uh, it's a bit more private uh, and a bit less windy not that it is windy at the moment but there's a bit more, bit more less impact on the wind so this is where I opted to stay. Um, if I had been up the top, I would have been having vehicles go past on a regular basis and it's close enough to the road that I would have had the lights shining and the noise of the cars all, all night. Here I just get the frogs. So tomorrow morning, the plan is again to head off. I'm looking at, because I've done the 10 or the 9 kilometres today, I've got 70 kilometres left to do and I'll probably end up doing that Potentially I could do 23, 23 and a half kilometres and do it in three days. I'll see how that goes. It depends on the, the terrain and what I'm walking through. But in all honesty, I'm going planning on taking three and a half days to do that. So it'll get me into my next town stop, which is in New Norfolk. Where are we today? So it's Thursday today, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, probably around about midday on Monday. Might be earlier, might be later. It just depends on how things go. I've got enough food to get me through and in fact I've got a, I've got a, probably a couple of days on top of that as well so it's always handy to have that extra food just in case. I'm getting into the routine of the hike. Um, I must admit I wasn't feeling overly happy on the first day uh, and it just wasn't quite sure why uh, but certainly I'm in I'm more into long distance hiking mode, uh, go into a routine, uh, start thinking about things Having, having the odd strange dream which I've had over the last couple of nights. I'm a sci-fi buff and having, having dreams that involve you being in sci-fi movies is, is always pretty interesting. Maybe that was the, the chicken parmesan I had for the last two nights uh, at the hotel in Deloraine. I do love the little country towns. They, they, they know how to feed you. In fact, they know how to overfeed you. You know, the meals that I've had on both breakfasts and dinners that I was in Deloraine would have quite comfortably done two people. So, you know, I ended up eating what I could, but I ended up eating a lot of food in both cases. Okay, I think it's probably time for me to head off to bed and I'll see how I go sleep-wise with all these frogs. Talk to you later. One thing I'll add to that last recording and one of the, the reasons for having a fitful sleep there was a possum that uh, jumped out of the tree adjacent to the hut behind me landed on the roof with a fairly loud thud and then headed out down to the ground so I was having a look at to see what was available inside the shelter to eat and wasn't really that far from the tent probably only around about 10 metres away obviously not used to people that much that was willing to come over uh, but possums are aware there's food around so uh, all I could think of was, was this thing's going to come over and try and get into my tent for the food it didn't but it was just just kept me awake I had I had at one stage it did come 
close-ish and it almost sounded like it was snoring whether it was trying to repeat what I was doing uh, but it was just uh, uh, not that far from the tent obviously curious to see what was there so that sort of did keep me awake for a little while It's just past six o'clock on Friday the 6th of August and I'm just in my tent and as you can probably hear by the traffic going past I'm not that far off the side of the road. Today was the biggest distance wise that I've covered 22 kilometers and probably the hardest day that I've had as well. Started out okay um, it took me until about 8 o'clock to get away because I needed to retape my feet and that always takes me around about 25 minutes to do uh, and then I um, uh, walking along I was doing the diversions that were set out in the uh, trail guide uh, but I also added an additional version a diversion uh, because uh, if I had have gone back onto the track again when I had the opportunity I would have had a would have had to ford a river and I passed that river later on this afternoon on a bridge and there was just no way knowing I would have gotten across it without swimming uh, and getting everything wet including me totally so uh, that's really what's happening at the moment it's almost a uh, as I mentioned on one of the posts to choose your own adventure because if I choose to follow the designated route and have to do river fording, um, it's just not viable at the moment because the rivers really are up all the way through uh, this part of the trail uh, from north right the way through to the south. It's supposed to get rain over the next couple of days, but it's supposed to be light rain, but we'll see what happens there. Um, uh, but so far, most of today was spent walking along highways and I had a lot of uphills and a lot of downhills. And around about mid-morning, I had some horrendous winds. Uh, I had a headwind walking up a steep hill uh, with not just gusts, constant wind at about 60 to 70 kilometres an hour. So I wasn't really moving very fast. Then I sort of crested the hill and then they had the real... They had the, the wind blowing across the road and then going downhill it changed again and I had a, uh, a tailwind uh, which sounds like a good idea but uh, when you're trying to keep your balance and you're being blown from behind it's actually a bit harder than you, you think it might be so a light tailwind's good but not a really strong tailwind. I put a post on social media just to show you or what the, the, the wind was like uh, and there were trees on one side and it was open on the other side and that's where the wind was coming from uh, and just shortly after I did that recording the wind gusts got up to around about 80 kilometers an hour I'm reasonably good with guessing wind speeds and spatial dimensions uh, I've spent a lot of time in the ocean uh, over the years uh, and can judge winds very well as I can judge them on land also so it's uh, it was pretty horrendous. Once I got out of the high area and down into the trees, it was a lot better. Um, the wind, while it was still around, and you can possibly hear the wind blowing now. Um, it you know, we've made a big difference once I have good solid trees on both sides of the road. Went through a couple of towns this morning. Went through. Uh, uh, Ellendale, which is a fairly small town, uh, and that was yeah, a post office combined with a little store, and they did coffees as well, but it was pretty tiny. Uh, but at least it was a, an opportunity to stop and have a drink and grab something to eat. Then I went through Westaway, uh, and I'm just camped just south of Westaway now. And with Westaway, I just topped up my water. I was hoping to do it from some of the rivers, uh, but again, it was just really hard to actually get down to them because they were often fenced off on private property uh, and the bridges wouldn't allow me get to get to them. So I ended up doing 22 kilometers, which is my biggest day. Uh, so between the wind making it really difficult to walk and the distance, uh, I'm really buggered at the moment. Um, had my uh, drink, uh, my protein drink, had my hot chocolate, cooked my dinner, 
and had very little of it because I'm just so tired. Uh, I just really want to go to sleep. So I um, only probably ate probably about a quarter of it if I'm lucky. One thing with traveling on the roads is it does shorten the distance because really the roads to a great extent are almost like a shortest distance between two points so had I followed the track it would have uh, been approximately 79 kilometers uh, and it would have got me into Ellen uh, into New Norfolk uh, around about Monday afternoon uh, whereas now I'm likely to get into uh, uh, New Norfolk uh, Sunday probably around about midday so probably more, you know, 25, 26 hours difference in time. I've got uh, a total of uh, 29, or in fact 28 kilometres left to go. Potentially I could do that in one day. It would be a long day. It would be a really draining sort of day. So I'm likely to end up doing 20 kilometres tomorrow, stop around about 8 kilometres short of New Norfolk, uh, and then the next day I'll have I'll, I'll have a very short sort of day, you know, two and a half, three hours tops to to get into town. Uh, you know, if I get away at sort of 7:30 or even eight, it'll get me there around about 11 o'clock. So time to head to hotel, uh, check in, uh, grab some lunch, and pick up my drop box and work out what food uh, that I actually need. Looking at the map for the remainder of the trip, I've got more of the same where there are some river crossings that I'm really dubious about based on the fact that every other river crossing I've looked at would have best been impassable. So um, I may end up, may well end up doing diversions uh, over and above uh, what's already in the book. Now, am I doing the Tasmanian Trail? Yes, I am, um, but I am going off track, and I think, realistically, there is no other option. Um, you know, as I said, I would have had to swim some of the rivers to get across them, and getting me drenched, and uh, even though I could probably keep my pack dry, I'm a bit, <coughs> a bit dubious about how dry I could keep it. Uh, and then I'd end up having to dry myself down, get into a tent and try and warm myself up, particularly in the cooler time of the year. So I think, I think it's one of these sort of things that, you know, if you're a purist, you're going to say, well, I haven't done the, the Tasmanian Trail. Yes, I've missed out a section of it, uh, although I've driven it and I've gone off track. But really, that's the only option I've got if I'm trying to complete this walk at this time of the year. So it's uh, it's one of those sort of things. I'll when I do the final write up for this walk, I will actually discuss what I've done and why, and I'll certainly make recommendations about if you're wanting to do this track, when the best time of the year to go through and do them would be. And certainly, I've got a good indication of that, and I knew that before I started this trip. But I thought, nah, it'll be fine. I should be able to get across them, across the rivers. But uh, no, not with the amount of rain that we have had over the last few weeks. Tasmania gets a lot of rain anyway, but it's just been constant, and the ground is saturated. So as a result, every time it rains at the moment, the water runs off. It doesn't soak in. Uh, so and you know, and just uh, that constant rain on a regular enough basis that doesn't allow the ground to dry out. So I've just pulled off, or I'm just over the fence into a forestry area uh, just south of uh, Westerly, uh, and basically just there's an old disused uh, rail track, and it is disused. It's very pretty obvious that it's disused, and I'm probably only I'm about 10 metres away from the the rail track anyway, but probably around about. I'd say 25 metres from the road. I was visible when it was still light, but certainly now when it's getting, it's pretty much dark, people aren't going to be able to see me as they're driving down the road. You know, there's just the height of the tent and it's behind greenery, but when it was daylight, it was pretty obvious. I could have kept on going to find a potentially better spot, but that could have been another kilometre or two kilometre, and I've, you know, I've just gone to the stage where it was time for a break. Tomorrow I've got a, an early town stop and that is uh, 
Bushby, I think it is, and forgive me if I'm getting this wrong. It's uh, it's dark and I haven't got the light on, so I think it's uh, I think it's Bushby, uh, which is a relatively major town. It's bigger than uh, Westerly. It's got a uh, a supermarket, uh, or a, at least it's got a supermarket logo here. I don't know what that actually means. It might be pretty basic, but it means I can sort of stop in and get a a hot chocolate and uh, get some food if need be. I'm finding that I'm not eating as much as I used to eat. Now, partly it's because of the cooler weather. And even, you know, when you, when you do the Lara Pinta Trail at this time of the year, it might be down to sort of three or four at night time, but it can get up to 30 degrees during the day. Here, I think the daytime temperature is about 11 degrees today. Nighttime's probably around about five. Uh, that's fine. I'm comfortable with that. Uh, my gear is comfortable with that. But as a result, you know, it's, it's quite interesting from my perspective. I'm not drinking as much, so I think had uh, two litres of water do me from yesterday at about 1.30 through till this afternoon and when I refilled it there was about uh, half a litre left so sorry two and a half litres down to half litre that's two litres in basically uh, 24 hours and that's including cooking dinner so again I'm just not as thirsty not as hungry uh, I've got a lot more food left over uh, just it's just the way I'm feeling at the moment Okay, I am going to go to bed because I'm reasonably tired and I think I will get a, I don't know, I think it might be a, a disturbed sleep again with this traffic. I'm guessing the traffic will slow down uh, over the next few hours, uh, but it is a busy road which does surprise me. Okay, talk to you later. It's just before 7 o'clock on Saturday the 7th of August and I'm here in my tent. I've just done social media for this morning and I'm just about to get out and have a loo break and then pack up and head off. Um, not too bad a night's sleep last night. Uh, surprisingly enough there were more frogs again and I don't know where. I'm in the middle of a uh, or on the edge of a, um, a pine plantation that's been pretty much uh, cut for about half a kilometre in any, either direction and there are some small puddles of water but I was just thinking where are these frogs finding somewhere to live but obviously they are had a fairly good batches of sleep but fitful sleep uh, woke up probably about 9 o'clock had a bit of a light snack and then went back to bed again uh, and then sort of woke up about 3 o'clock so that was a pretty good sleep for me I just talked to my wife Jill and she was saying in Canberra the apparent temperature is minus six where I am at the moment uh, and it's reading she was reading it from New Norfolk the apparent temperature is six degrees uh, with the actual temperature being about 11 so good warm comfortable uh, I'm not freezing at all I do actually have a thermal sleeping bag liner just in case and I've only used that once while I've been camping and that's when the temperature did get down to about minus one uh, but otherwise it's been pretty good all right I will pack up and then I'm heading off to Bushy Park is my first stop and that will take me uh, I've got about um, as far as I can tell around about uh, nine to ten kilometers to get there so that's around about two to three hours probably th closer to three I think depending on there is a bit of wind outside still so roughly three hours and that'll get me there for uh, uh, well, I'd say an early lunch but a, a late morning tea slash lunchish and before I head off further down the track in total I've got uh, 29 kilometers today and tomorrow to get me to New Norfolk the plan is to do approximately 20 kilometers today or as close as I can to it uh, giving me a fairly short day tomorrow of uh, 10 kilometers or less which will get me into New Norfolk again around about 11 o'clock in the morning it means I can take advantage of a hotel room pick up my resupply box get uh, get organized in relation to what I do and don't need for the remainder of the trip and send stuff back home again and most importantly buy a new pair of glasses because I'm a bit blind at the moment it makes it very hard to do social media posts okay talk to you later it's Sunday the 8th of August I'm here in New Norfolk in my motel room I actually arrived here yesterday afternoon 
Um, I planned on staying out, tenting it last night and just having a short walk in. But I uh, decided that I got to a stage later in the afternoon. I still had about 10 to 12 k's to go and just decided that uh, um, I was done for the day. So I, I got a lift in. Now, I'm glad I did because I was road walking it in and the roads, at least in this part of Tasmania, aren't really built for uh, uh, road walking. Uh, I found that I was having to change from one side of the road to the other. Uh, in some instances, I was walking along the road or along the bitumen because the bitumen would stop and there'd be a steep drop off, uh, which was pretty much impossible to walk. I'll talk about towns more specifically later in this podcast, but I was trying to work out why New Norfolk, you know, supposedly according to the guidebook, it had pretty much everything you want, and it does. You know, it's got a Woolworths, it's got a McDonald's, it's got a, a number of other stores, but everything seems to be shut on Sundays. So when I got up this morning to go for breakfast, there are a number of cafes uh, that no longer existed, even though they were here early in the year. They didn't open until 10 or 11 o'clock in the morning, uh, which is, you know, that's fine for brunch, but it's certainly not fine for breakfast. I ended up going to one of the chain uh, store, bakery type stores, and it was really good. But it was just one of those sort of things that uh, there's a lot of stores that just don't seem to open. Uh, I needed to wait until nine o'clock to go to the chemist to find a replacement pair of glasses, which I did. And uh, then I came back to the hotel room, had a bit of a snooze, looked at what was going on in relation to COVID. I had a bit more look on detail of the rest of the trail. Uh, and really between the rest of today and tomorrow, I've got some decisions to make about how, uh, how I'm gonna progress and what I'm gonna do. But yeah, New, New Norfolk's quite a nice little town. Uh, but as I said, not really give tourists, and it, and it occurred to me why that was, because really we're only 35 kilometres from Hobart at this stage. So I think, you know, for a lot of people, if you're going to be heading towards Hobart, you're, you're unlikely to stop 35 kilometres to get a hotel. Okay, that's it for the moment. Uh, and I'll be producing the podcast uh, on the Monday uh, and that's uh, and one of the reasons I'm here for three nights is that I need to pick up my resupply boxes and understandably enough the post office isn't open Saturday afternoon, isn't open Sunday opens up at 9 o'clock on Monday so I need to pick up the box work out what I need to finish off the rest of the trip send the rest back okay, talk to you later In this next segment of this podcast episode, I just wanted to talk about the trail map and the towns along the trail. The Tasmanian Trail Association fund themselves by charging for membership, which includes access to the Mac map and access to the GPX file. And while you'd probably be able to pick up the GPX files online quite easily, the map's going to be a really bit of a hard thing to sort of try and pick out. And for the sake of what amounts to $80 a year, I think it's really worthwhile and it does support a, an association that's trying to provide a resource for us as hikers, walkers and recreational users. One comment I would make on the map is that it talks about trail towns and it talks about shopping. So looking at the map of Tasmania at the moment, really this map, this map or this trail starts in Devonport, goes through to Latrobe, Sheffield, Deloraine, Bracknell, Miena, Bronte Park, Ouse. It sort of bypasses Hamilton and Deloraine, New Norfolk, Judbury, Jeeveston, and then Dover in the south. And as I mentioned, there's probably a number of other uh, trail towns that are fairly close by an issue to say, well, I'll just whip off the trail to go into a particular town. Starting north, uh, Do uh, Devonport. I've never actually been to Devonport before this trip. Uh, Devonport's a reasonably large sort of town. Lots of hotel options, lots of choices. And my choice in choosing the accommodation when I arrived was really based on how close can I get to the trailhead 
and I was also thinking along the lines that I needed to pick up gas for my stove the following morning so I wanted to be somewhere relatively close. So lots of choices, lots of options, lots of shops and you know you really could resupply and restock. Having said that though it's like anything the stores open at nine o'clock and if you want to start a bit earlier than that you're probably better off bringing stuff with you or in my case I actually picked up gas in town when I was in Hobart. From there we go to La Trobe which is around about eight kilometers away. Now La Trobe is not a particularly big town but it does have an IGA supermarket. Uh, it does have a number of cafes and pubs and it also has a number of accommodation options although from my perspective I couldn't work out why I couldn't book into the caravan park it just it didn't it didn't seem to have anything on offer for about a week or so and it wasn't until I walked through that particular town that I realized that they're doing a, an off-season refurbishment and cleanup and that it didn't open until I think it was approximately the 10th of August um, so that would explain why I was having a bit of problems there. But it's a good little town. The IGA is a reasonable sized supermarket. Uh, good place to stop for lunch, which is where I did. And, you know, and I'd, I'd originally intend on only doing 10 kilometers that day, but ended up doing 20 kilometers and camping along the way. Now the next town is Sheffield, and I just decided I wanted an overnight stay in a hotel. Now partly that was because I'd done so well walking along the trail, avoiding all the uh, uh, mud and water and keeping my feet fairly dry. And the last section coming out of the trail into the town of Sheffield itself is a farm road. We'd had a lot of rain. Uh, it was used for shuffling cows up and down the particular paddocks and uh, as much as I tried I took a step to try and avoid the water and ended up having the mud and water go over my boot height and they were a high boot so I ended up getting the boot on the outside was, was wet was fine but I also ended up getting mud and cow poo and water inside that boot so I thought I would prefer to have a, uh, a night where I could actually let everything dry off so I opted for a, a hotel stop there Again, Sheffield's got a good lot of resources, lots of little restaurants, lots of cafes, uh, supermarkets, and a good option for resupply if that's what you feel like doing. Now, my next town that I stopped in was Deloraine. Now, Deloraine is around about seven kilometers off the trail. So if you're a horse rider or a cyclist, probably not a big issue. Um, in my case, I had to turn back because I couldn't cover or couldn't cross the little lobster rivulet. Uh, it was just too deep and too dangerous uh, and I wasn't willing to take the risk. I might have been perfectly fine but it was just from my perspective as a solo hiker it was a bit of a risk so I had to backtrack half a day to where I turned uh, onto the access road and then I got, I'll, I'll be honest, I cheated and got a taxi into Deloraine uh, around about seven or eight kilometres. Uh, now, Deloraine is a good-sized town. It's a good tourist town. The cafes and the pubs are excellent, uh, and there's photos of the food from breakfast and lunch there. Typical country-type fare where you, there was enough food to feed two people and just about every meal I had, so I was leaving a lot of food by the end of it. But it would really... It's a nice little town. It was comfortable. It was enjoyable. I stayed in the Deloraine Motor, uh, sorry, the Deloraine Hotel, and it was really lovely. You know, you could walk downstairs and have uh, have lunch and or dinner. Uh, breakfast, you had to go out, uh, and I ended up going to the uh, Deloraine Deli, which was again, it was just spectacular. Deloraine, and a good indication here with Deloraine is. It, rate, it ranked a Woolworths supermarket. And I think that's the big thing. There's really probably three categories of what you would class as towns. Those that rank a Woolworths supermarket or Coles possibly, but they've always been Woolworths as far as I can tell. Then you come down to IGAs and then you come down to almost a little multi-purpose, very limited sort of resources. But Deloraine had just about everything you could possibly want uh, and a good place to stop for a break. From there, I skipped ahead and avoided the central plateau. But I had to stop in at Bracknell to pick up my drop box uh, to resupply me for the next stage of my trip before heading on to Ooze. Now, Bracknell is one of these towns that fall into the third category. 
the supermarket come post office come general store is all in one very limited resources there's there's some stuff there that you can buy but if you're planning on doing a resupply for four or five days you would have very limited options I skipped Mienna and Bronte Park uh, and then headed on to Ooze. Now Ooze as a town is again one of the larger towns, had an IGA, a good size one, uh, had the ability to resupply and restock if you need to uh, and had a good post office in it uh, and from my perspective I posted ahead in relation to my food. Now I was questioned on social media about why if I'm going through towns am I sending through resupply boxes and I suppose I have a couple of couple of reasons for doing that. If I had have done a bit more research and looked at exactly what size supermarkets and, 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 and stores were there potentially I could have bought stuff there but I am really fussy with my food. There are things that I like uh, and there are things that I don't like and from my perspective it's no good me buying food just because I need calories if I don't like it because I know I will not eat it. Uh, I like particular types of dried fruit, I like dried nuts, uh, I like particular types of muesli bars slash chocolate bars, I like particular cereals for breakfast uh, so I mean, you know, potentially I could have, if you're not fussy with your food, you could almost resupply as you go. I've also gotten to the stage with my resupply where a lot of people I know will actually make their own dehydrated food. I, in all honesty, will do that from time to time, but I just find that my time is more important to me than the purchase price of freeze-dried food. I would rather buy a batch of freeze-dried food and typically I have a top five and that's what I tend to rotate through in relation to single overnight trip or single hiker trips, solo trips. And that includes a couple from backcountry uh, back cuisine uh, and, and, and around about three from campus pantry. I know we can eat them over and over and again and I like them and I do not get sick of them. Uh, it's also the quantity is quite good and all I've got to do is just cook uh, or boil water uh, and that's, that's, that suits me fine. If I have to get into town and buy food, you know, I don't, I'm not into two minute noodles. I prefer not to have a cup of soup that often uh, and you know, minimizing weight, I don't want to have to cook, take tins of tuna or sausage of tuna. I hate tuna, uh, at least tin tuna anyway. Give me sashimi, uh, give me cooked tuna, but put it in a tin and it, just, it is just revolting. Uh, and it doesn't matter who makes it or whether it comes in freeze-dried, it just doesn't do anything for me, where Jill, my wife, loves it. So it's just one of those things, you know, saying you could always eat tuna just doesn't work for me. So I'll talk about a bit more about the post system in a moment, but moving along from there into New Norfolk, and that's where I am at the moment. New Norfolk is a relatively large town. Uh, it has a Woolworths, it's got a McDonald's, so again, that's another level above. Uh, it's roughly around about 35 kilometres from uh, Hobart, so it's pretty close to Hobart. And it really does rate uh, as a town as far as facilities and availability. So there's an outdoor store, which is mainly based on fishing and, and guns. But, you know, if you need something from an outdoor perspective, you can pretty much pick up at least the basics, not necessarily the hiking and camping, but you can pick up the, the necessary things you need. Now, I haven't gone any further south than uh, in New York, Norfolk at the moment, but my comment would be is to, if you're using the guidebook and planning to do this trip, have a look and see what is in the town. Go online with Google, do a search for IGA, do a search for Woolworths or even Coles for that matter and see what's in the town. If they're not there, you're probably going to find your choices are going to be limited. And again, that's not a big issue if you're providing your own food. But if, it, if you're fussy on your food or you have particular likes or, or requirements, this is where it's going to become important. 
Now, as I mentioned, from my perspective, I use resupply boxes, so I'm guaranteed of getting the things I like. I know when I pick up a bag of food and I number my, my food days, and they're pretty much, this trip I've actually reduced the number of calories from what I did on the previous one. Uh, and I base that on what I send home. So even if I don't use something, I will send my food home, I'll weigh it, I'll work out what I don't do and don't like, uh, and that way it allows me to plan for the next trip. So in this case here, I had roughly about 675 grams of food per day. That's freeze-dried and, and otherwise. That includes things like a tin or a jar of peanut butter, which is probably the heaviest thing, but that will only last me for about a week. So that food pack in particular is the heavier one, but when you average it out over the trip, it's 675 grams per day. I just find, as I said, it's easy for me to put things in the post. And I, I have some people that talk about, I was looking at doing the Heisen Trail. Uh, and again, just because of the COVID restrictions, Potentially, I could have ended up doing it, but I didn't know that until the day I was supposed to be starting, and that was going to be cutting it really fine. But with the high sun, I know that some people do drive up from Adelaide. They'll drop off food boxes as they go. But, you know, that's a basically a 1,200-kilometer trip if you do that. And you might say, well, okay, well, I'll take seven days of food. That's maybe 150 kilometers, so you, you don't have to go the whole way. But... For the sake of Australia Post, and they really do do a good job. I think COVID has shown they can deliver parcels better than just about anybody. And I had sent through two, I came through having my food for basically five to six days to start with. I carried that with me. I then had a resupply box at Bracknell and then one at Ooze. And that should pretty much have lasted me through the entire trip or will last me through the entire trip. The first box was around about six and a half kilos. I had to pay for the box. I got an Australia Post box and that cost $42 express post to send. It got from Canberra to Bracknell in two days. So I used the Australia Post app. And I know exactly where it is and where it's, when it's moving. And once it gets there, they will maintain it or keep it for you for 14 days. Now, I use, I use Express Post because they're saying with COVID at the moment and the impacts of restrictions and border lockdowns, they are prioritising Express Post. And while I could have probably got away with using just standard post, it wasn't that much cheaper. So the first post, as I said, or first box was $42. And two days later, uh, my uh, box arrived in Bracknell. So I knew it was there, and I knew that I had 14 days to get there, which was fine. My second resupply box, uh, we sent that around about eight days after the first. From a, the, the app point of view, they sent it to the wrong location. They sent it to the southern parcel depot rather than the, the correct one. Uh, and, and originally they were saying it's not going to arrive until the 10th of August, and that would have been cutting it fine. But they got that back on track really quickly. And again, it turned up in two days as well. One thing I'd really like to say here is I got to Bracknell. I used the food. I actually had some additional food left over. So I sent some of that back to Canberra. And then I traveled down to Ooze thinking, okay, that box is not going to get there for another four or five days at least. And 10 minutes before I pulled into Ooze, I got a message uh, on the app saying the box had arrived. So I turned up at Ooze Post Office. I didn't need that box at the stage. So I had them send it back to New Newport, which is where it had come through. Uh, and they didn't charge me for it because I just redirected it and didn't open it up. There was no charge. So that box was basically, I got a message later on that day. It was back there later on that afternoon. So I knew it was there and ready to go. I got to New Norfolk and again, unfortunately, because I got to New, York, New Norfolk on Saturday afternoon, post office was closed, couldn't get there Sunday. And that's one of the disadvantages of using Australia Post. You've got to work with business hours. So I picked the box up this morning, which was Monday morning. And I said, look, I need to forward this box again. Not a problem. I hadn't opened it. So they re-forwarded it at no charge. And this surprised me. I've come fully prepared to have to pay an additional postage charge. Uh, and I know in the States they do a, a system called bounce boxes, whereas they'll let you forward it once without any cost. 
Australia Post don't seem to worry about, I don't know how many times they'll do it, but in this box in particular, it was forwarded a second time without any cost. So, you know, it really isn't worth the effort of driving anywhere if you have to drive two or three or 400 kilometres to, to drop off a couple of boxes. Uh, in all honesty, it's just better using the post system. Now, the second box was more expensive. It was heavier. Uh, I don't know the weight because Jill posted that for me and she added some additional stuff in. But that was roughly closer to 10 kilos and cost around about $80. So for the sake of $80 plus $42, $122 in postage, um, you could not drive the distance, uh, you know, the wear and tear on your car and the fuel and your time that the postage system would allow. So it is a really good system. I'll go through and put uh, put it in detail in the trail write-up explaining exactly how it works because it really is well worth using. Now, just to finish off this podcast, um, I'm still in a bit of a quandary about where I head to from here. And this is a, a decision point that I've got to finalize this afternoon. Do I continue on and head down to Dover, which is approximately 100 kilometers or five days? Do I do another section and stop early? Do I pull the pin? And this is these are all options I've got to consider. The reason for that is I've been following the news on code. It seems to be getting worse. And my issue is because I'm in Tasmania, and because I need to be able to fly back to Canberra, if there's a major outbreak, uh, the major airlines will pull the pin. Uh, and Link Airways, which is the one that takes you directly back to Canberra, may actually pull the pin on their flights as well. They haven't done so, but it is a risk. And from my perspective, I'm not in the situation where I can not go back to work on the due date. Uh, it's just not a possibility. Uh, so I need to turn up. And worst case, if I've got a quarantine at home because something's gone horribly wrong, I can do that because I can, I've got the ability to work remotely, but I need to be back in Canberra to do it. The other issue is as well is if something happens in Tasmania and I'm required to self-isolate for 14 days or the ACT change their requirements and say I'm required to isolate for 14 days, it means my wife Jill also has to isolate for 14 days and she is not really in a situation at the moment to be able to do that either. So as I said, my choices are to head on for a part of it, head on to complete uh, or to pull the pin and that's what I've got to decide over um, the next uh, half a day and work out exactly what I'm going to be doing from here. Okay, so I hope you've enjoyed this week's episode. Next week we'll continue on and work out the rest of the logistics for the trail. I'll talk more in detail about the trail and my, fir- my, my ultimate decision on what I ended up doing. We hope you've enjoyed this episode. That's all for me. Bye for now.